From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to the big event and our Nigel Poor and Erlon Woods episode, which began as my greatest moment of panic in 2019. Poor and Woods are the co-hosts of Ear Hustle, the hit podcast recorded at San Quentin State Prison. They agreed to come to the Chronicle so we could look at historic San Quentin photos before recording the big event. I got to the basement archive seven minutes before their arrival, opened the door, and the room was completely sealed off with a plastic wall. I'm going to make a very specific pop culture reference here. It looked like the fake termite tenting that Walter White used to cook meth in the fifth season of Breaking Bad. This wasn't a huge surprise. There's been a lot of construction in the basement lately. The big event's been recording in a temporary space. And I was quickly informed there's a zipper in the plastic barrier that would allow access to the archive. So I was still a little panicked and apologized for all the above. And then Poor and Woods put it in perspective. Paraphrasing now, they said, Peter, we record in a prison. These accommodations are spacious. And that right there is why I still love Ear Hustle, now in the middle of season four. It's an enormous hit, millions of downloads, and the good news keeps arriving for the podcast. Woods, a former inmate, just had a sentence commuted by Jerry Brown. But the wonderful rawness of the production hasn't changed. Simple human stories told from the perspective of present and former inmates reflecting and overcoming the limitations of producing in a prison. If anything, the gratitude that Woods feels is just added to the simple beauty of the podcast. Here are Woods and Poor during one of our lighter moments, talking about the photos Woods is taking of ice cream since he got out. Uh, just going to the beach just because and just sit there and just chill, eat ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> when he first got out, when Erlang got out, he got a better phone than I got, and so he has a really good camera, and he always was sending me these pictures of him eating ice cream by the water. <laughs> he was like, oh, it's just so beautiful. <laughs> just over here, it's so cool, so just, you know, you, 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 you appreciate the small stuff. Because, see, the crazy part is when you're in San Quentin, I was in San Quentin seven years prior to my parole, everybody like... Why are they on the bay? Why do they get to, you know, enjoy the water? We don't even see the water. They got 30-foot walls. You don't even smell the seaweed. But you know the water's out there, but you can't. You got to go, like, to specific spots somewhere in the prison to just look out and see the water. And you're only seeing it from a little window. Nigel Poor is a photographer who volunteers as an art instructor at the prison. We begin the episode by talking about some finds in the Chronicle Archive and her early work at the prison. We also talk about the beginnings of the show, the changes for season four, and more on the show's adjustments with Woods on the outside. He took his first solo BART trip to the Chronicle newsroom, and he gives a fun review of the transit system. We're your concierge for culture in the Bay Area. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. Welcome to the San Francisco Chronicle. I'm so happy to have you both here. So glad to be here. Yeah, Thank so you. glad to be here. Not only to be here, but to be in like the archive room of the Chronicle is amazing. You get to see stuff that almost nobody gets to see. You say amazing, I say interesting. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Amazingly interesting. I mean, you could spend hours just looking around here at everything. Yeah, when I first came down here, and I was, a, I was not a librarian or an yeah. archive-based reporter, when I first came down here, there were times 
when at the time we had no Wi-Fi or anything, so I'd lose track of time. Yeah. And I'd f- like get out of here and find out it's like six thirty, and I'm missing dinner. And I, I, I think it's like three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. I could totally imagine that one because there's so much to look at, but also there's no natural light down here, so it could be any time. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, and right now I'm looking at all these cool photographs from San Quentin. There's an escape picture. It looks like somebody built a canoe. So I was going to ask you about your finds. Um, you guys were, we were in the other part of the archive. It was getting kind of hot. We had to leave early, but um, uh, you got to look and see a lot of the photos. Did you find anything jumped out at you? Because uh, Nigel, you, you're a photo uh, teacher. Yes, yes. I'm, a, I'm a photographer and I teach photography. Um, oh, so much stuff. Well, first of all, I was just fascinated by the archive and how it's kept and that there was so much there. First of all, in that room, there's piles of newspapers, which is pretty funny, that are turning brown. Yeah. Um, but then there was just piles of photographs everywhere. So every folder you open, there was something amazing to see in there. There was a picture of um, somebody trying to do a recreation of the George Jackson gun incident at San Quentin, putting on a wig. Now, yeah, that was, with a that nine was, millimeter that was under it. The whole, the whole George Jackson, uh, all the pictures were very interesting. Well, and what about, I know you said that it was true back in the day, but I still can't believe there was a picture of a cell that had wallpaper. It had a stereo system in it. Right. Come I mean, on, I it looked like people, an apartment. I mean, people used to wear their own clothes back then. Yeah, I that's mean, what, yeah. It was just like the regular, you know, you ju- you're just incarcerated, not the California Department of Corrections it's prisoner totally on your clothes. Different. And you know what the other th- cool thing about these photographs is that on the back, there's in nice writing with graphite is all the information. So you can look at the front and it's a mystery and then you turn it over and there's a description of it. And then we also saw microfiche. Microfilm? Right. Yes. I haven't seen that in like 40 years. Yeah, when I got down there and saw a microfish machine, I was like, it took me back to high school. Yeah. Not college, high, high school. high school. Oh, high <laughs> school, yeah. And yeah. Um, plus all the smells. It smelled like an archive room down there. The but smell of things aging and being collected. You, you know, you know, looking at all those George Jackson pictures, I'm still di- disputing there was no gun. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, nobody, you're dis- nobody was shot. You're disputing that there was no gun. Was so you're saying gun. there is a gun. I'm saying there was never a gun. Okay. You saw a name you recognized in, in oh, that file. Oh, uh, 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 John Clouchette. Uh-huh. John Clouchette, it was uh, one of my partners, uh, Kobe Clouchette. Actually, his name is Kobe Fleeta Clouchette. And also on that file was a, a guy named Fleeta. He was mm-hmm. one of the uh, uh, San Quentin Six. But someone you actually knew? Yeah. Not just their name, you knew them. Yeah. Well, no, I knew his son. Wild. And the guy just got out, too, recently. Wow. Nigel, photography, that was your entry into yes, San Quentin, exactly. right? Um, how, how did that, was that an interest you always had? How, how did you photography get Photography or prison? Prison. Um, well, no. She I, went to jail back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started being interested in prisons I don't know in the, around I don't know mid 2000s and I was trying to figure out how to get into a prison um, and I heard about an organization called the Prison University Project that was looking for volunteer professors and so I started volunteering teaching history of photography class so that's how I started going into prison but I started getting interested in San Quentin because I got mail misdelivered to my house from San Quentin really yes so a letter <laughs> came to my house from San Quentin um, the address had nothing to do with the address where it was supposed to go, and it happened three times, and it just made me start thinking about, ooh, why, why am I getting this misdirected mail? And that started me thinking about it would be interesting to go into a prison. What, what do they allow you to teach in prison? I, I noticed, I, I looked at some of your work there, mm-hmm. and it was fantastic, and I loved yeah. seeing that they have a photo archive of their own. Yes. Um, but the inmates can't take 
photos? No. No, so originally I was hoping to teach a how-to photography class, but I was told very quickly you couldn't do that. So I taught a history of photography class. And so the guys were obviously learning about you know, important makers of images, but we tried to come up with assignments that would give them the experience of creating something, even though they could not get cameras. It just it was not possible. Yeah. Yeah. Is that partly what made you interested in, in a different way to express art, um, getting involved with audio? Absolutely. Um, after I'd been teaching for a while, I met Erlon, and we were working on a radio project together. And actually, for KALW? For KLW, yeah. but I should back up before that. The idea originally was to do a film, a, a documentary film about life inside San Quentin, and it was just way too complicated, so we decided audio <laughs> yeah. would be easier. <laughs> right, right. We're no. very naive. <laughs> but in some ways, it, it is, I don't know, like I say, it's easier. In some ways, it's easier in prison um, because uh, we can get access to audio recording equipment much easier than cameras. Yeah, and you didn't, uh, you didn't like immediately hit it off right away, or I, I don't want to say not hit it off, but, but uh, uh, you weren't fast friends. Who, me and Erlon? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know if that's true. Well, no, well, we, no, hit, no, hitting, no. hitting it off is the wrong terminology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, no. We, we met. No, the thing was that Erlon was really quiet. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't talk a lot, and I'm actually not, not a big talker either. So it took a while to get to know him, but very quickly I realized he would be a great person to work with because he's a really good observer and he's a really good listener, and not everyone has that quality. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I wouldn't say I didn't hit it off. It just took a while to get to know him. And I'm sure it took a while to get to know me, too. Um, but we worked together for about three years before we started doing the podcast. Yeah. And, and the podcast, that happened pretty suddenly. Yes. Um, there was a contest. There was a contest. Well, as I said, we were working on the radio project together, and there were starting to be some problems. And I was getting kind of frustrated. And Erlon said... Um, and this when she was getting frustrated, she was ready to <clears throat> throw in a towel. Yeah. <laughs> Escape, <laughs> hit the wall. Yeah, call it a day. And what did you say to me? Oh, I said, just give me 90 days and I'll turn everything around. Yep. And she said, okay. Yep. We and made she stayed and we were able to turn it around. Yep. And in those 90 days, we decided to do it. We said we'd start a podcast and move away from the radio project. And, um, Erlon didn't know what a podcast was, so that was fun explaining it. And I think his response was, "Oh, this is going to be easy." <laughs> no, I, that was that was after I heard uh, snap snap, judgment. snap judgments, yeah. uh, one of their couple of their stories, and I was like, "Oh, that's easy. You just sit down and talk to somebody. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no editing, no nothing. Yeah, you just nothing. you just talk to people." How do you feel now, Erlon? Oh well, it was not easy. You know when you. <laughs> Listening to, let's say, a 45-minute uh, podcast, you, what you don't realize is it's probably like six hours of tape Yeah, that was condensed down to 45 minutes. So that's the hard part. Oh, yeah. That is the hard part. Well, another thing I, I always like to say is that when we came up with this idea, we were just going to play it inside the prison. That was the only idea is to play inside for guys to hear. And yep. then we heard about the, the podcast contest from Radiotopia and submitted it and that changed everything. Yeah. yeah. Or really quickly as you say. Appropriately the PodQuest. PodQuest. Pod competition. Yes, Radiotopia PodQuest. How many people applied? So you had fifteen hundred and thirty seven people from fifty three different countries. Uh or should I say fifteen hundred and thirty seven teams from fifty three fifty three different countries and we made it to the top ten. Yep. 
Then the top four. Then we took the spot. Then we won. And 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 what's that moment like for you and you and the prison? I mean, were they yeah. expecting it? Funny story. Yeah, funny story. <laughs> so Lieutenant Robinson, when we brought the idea to him, he was like, we were already doing radio, so he was like, he looked at it, he was like, eh, they ain't never did a podcast, they ain't gonna win. <laughs> <laughs> and then when we won, we were all like, oh, when can the, you swear when we got to the Yeah, you can swear, I'll look, just put when, a little E on okay. it. When we got to the top 10, he was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and then when we won, we were like, oh, bleep. Um, now we got to figure out how to do this. <laughs> yeah, now we got to figure out how to really make a podcast. Part of winning the podcast meant that Radiotopia was picking us up as producers, and they helped us produce the show. So they really taught us a lot, and they gave us an editor to work with. And without them, I mean, it wouldn't sound the way it sounds. That's for sure. How does that work? I mean, I don't know. I'm just a listener, and and uh, uh, how does that work? Did it, does it immediately become like a full time job, or or you you have immediately a lot of things it became going? more than a full time job? Nigel is Jamaican. She has like five jobs. <laughs> <laughs> when Erlon was inside, it's not an exaggeration to say we worked five to seven days a week, eight to twelve hour days on it. I mean, I, I don't think that's an exaggeration. No, it's not. Yeah. Um, from morning to, to late afternoon, late yeah. night, you know, going into the night, you know. Because we could be there from like, you could be there from like 7.30 in the morning to till 8 at night. 8 at night. And then so. on weekends from 2 to 8. And we used all of that time. Because we had to do everything inside the prison. It wasn't like we could email each other right, or right. take tape out. Like everything has to be edited inside the you, prison. You can't edit anything outside mm-hmm. of the... Nope. No, because everything there. has to be um, approved by Lieutenant... Um, Sam Robinson, uh, which is the public information officer, and he has to approve everything, every word. Yeah. Because his whole job is public safety yeah. and making sure nobody is misrepresented. Yeah, so imagine if you have six hours of tape. It's like you got to be in there listening to all that and editing it. And since we didn't really know what to do, it, everything took us probably five times as long as it would take people. Remember we didn't know how to use our editor? Yes, I do remember that. <laughs> yes, there was so much we didn't know. We've learned a lot. But I, but one of the things I think that's good about that is when you go into a project not knowing, you don't know what you can't do. Do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. you're not hemmed in by what might be the rules of podcasting, the rules of photography, whatever those are. Um, let us really play and come up with, I think, our own sound. I, I think that. I went back and listened to my favorite episode from the first season, and I'll tell you that at the end of the this episode but um i didn't it didn't feel that much different the the vibe general vibe was the same did you guys get into that groove right away and was there an episode or a moment where you realized you know this is working do you want to go first no i'm gonna let you okay so when we started the podcast there were a few things that we wanted to do we knew that erlon and i wanted to host it and have banter come in and out of the show. We knew we wanted to use the sounds of the prison. We knew we wanted to make use of lists and yard talk and all this different stuff. So, and and use a lot of music. And none of those components have changed. I think they've just gotten better. And for me, one of the things I love about doing it is working with Erlon in our relationship. And although the podcast isn't about us, we are the escorts through it. And I like to think that's part of what makes it work because we really enjoy working together. Yeah. It was hard. (laughs) (laughs) But do you think it sounds, I think it sounds better, but I don't think the components are that different from when we started. And I think when we, I think, so 
it was interesting us just sitting down having conversations and then figuring out how we were going to um, stay stay structured in the story um, from I guess you could say actuality to banter to connecting them to continuing to go and to make it real compelling um, I me personally I'm still learning mm-hmm. you know but I think we just sitting down, just us, just having conversations. I remember I thought that's what it, what it was about, us just having conversations. Then we go back and edit, and what's the, what's the best we keep? <laughs> yeah. Are there a lot of rules early on? I mean, I, I, I certainly noticed early on. I, I, I thought as a listener I was going to be hearing, you know, crime stories, and oh, that's yeah. not what it was. I was hearing people stories, yeah. and, and uh, it was all very interesting because it's a world I didn't know, but it was about the people. Yeah. Was that your decision from the beginning? Well, I would say from all the artwork that I've done over 30 years, I've always been interested in everyday life and overlooked things in humble, using humble materials. And I think the everyday is the most interesting. So Erlon may feel differently, but from my perspective, I wanted to do stories of everyday life in prison. I didn't want to get into crimes. I didn't want to get into if someone's guilty or innocent or policy. That's for people who think differently. For me, it's about the everyday. And so that was one of my guiding principles. Well, no, I mean, that's that's the most, I think you say, the the humanizing part yeah. of it, you know. Um, people hearing about other people that they may have, let's say, lived a certain life, but they didn't go to the extremes with it, and but this person over here did, mm-hmm. or, you know, this person made a bad decision in their life, and the average person might be like, ooh, I was like a block away from that, you know, or I could have made that decision if I didn't get out the car or whatever the yeah. case may be, so... I think we just gave a lot of people things to think about, yeah. you know, and, and me personally, I didn't even know that people on the outside didn't really know that much about prison or people inside because it's like usually when you commit a crime, you're probably on the news, uh, you're in the courtroom and you sentenced and that's it. Yeah. So people always look at you as that person that was sentenced and that was it, the crime and that's it. They don't pay attention to your growth as you go five years 10 years 15 30 40 you know people change so yeah so i guess when us telling those stories people under finally seen the change in people how did the feedback um change things or affect you i mean this the show was an instant hit and now you've got a bunch of fans and they're telling you what's going on is there a balance between trying to entertain people and, and give them what you've been giving them and also grow creatively and, and keep with the foundation of, of what you're trying to do? Yeah. We got a word for that. <laughs> Edutainment. Edutainment. <laughs> Educate and entertain at the same time. Um, well, I think that we want to, you know, I still see myself as an artist and I see Erlon as an artist. It just happens to be that we use audio. So artists have to keep growing and pushing themselves. Otherwise you repeat yourself and it gets really boring. So I want to keep the feeling of the stories the same, but trying to tell more difficult stories. Um, And I want to do more stories where there aren't in quotes, always good characters. I want to get people to think more compassionately and open about people where there might not be a happy end. At the story, and I, I really like to keep away from those stories that are just about redemption. But one thing, when Erlon got out, one of the things I was worried about was that now, well, working in prison, there's so many restrictions, and sometimes you can work really well creatively with restrictions. And then when Erlon got out, I started thinking, well, we can do almost anything we want now, and is that going to be good for the show or bad for the show? 
And so I think that's what we're trying to figure out this season, like how far can we cast the net and still keep the stories really personal and about everyday observation. Well, let's talk about that. Season four, um, big change before season four. Yes, huge. <laughs> uh, you're sitting here with me here, Alon. So, uh, I escaped. Legally. <laughs> 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 uh, Jerry Brown, uh, d- sorry if I get the terminology wrong, commutes the sentence? Well, we got, we got to give him his respect. The Honorable Governor Jerry Brown <laughs> commuted my sentence, yes. Yeah. I applied for a commutation about a year prior. Had you been thinking about that in years before? When this podcast started, were you guys sort of planning for that possibility or did it happen kind of suddenly nah it was more of so when you're in prison you end up taking like self-help groups and you start um volunteering to be in transformational healing circles where you're sitting with survivors of crime offenders politicians uh prosecutors all kind of stuff so you're having these deep conversations so and the individual's doing the work so um, a volunteer that was there that used to come in, uh, she was just like, man, you know, you're doing all the work. You know, you should consider filing a commutation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you think of commutations, you think of like someone on death row getting a stay of execution or, you know, you, you don't see people getting commuted. That's like one thing you don't see. Everybody else hope on habeas corpus if it'll work, if your appeal will work, which you never really see nobody successful in that either. So when I submitted it, I had no expectation, but, you know, hey, might happen, might not. But when I submitted it and received an interview from the Board of Prison Terms, which is which is sent by the governor's uh, office, um, I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> because when we started working, what was the first the year where you would go up for parole? It was like 2028. 2028. Because I mean, I used to really think about that. 2028. How old are we going to be in 2028? You know, it was far away. Yes. So, and, you know, I had a life sentence yeah. under the California three strikes law for attempted second degree robbery. It was my second time in prison. And I had 31 years to life plus 26 years to life. So with a sentence like that and you, you, you get to prison and you look around and you see lifers ain't going nowhere. Yeah. It's like, wow. You know. And I think up until the point um, Jerry Brown, Governor Jerry Brown came in and put um, the executive officer, Jennifer Schaefer, in the, in the board of prison terms, mm-hmm. that's when people start. They start really following the law yeah. because prior governors weren't following the law. They were just locking you up. If, if, you, if you took a life on my watch, you're not getting out on my watch. That's what, that was the stance from Pete Wilson, Schwarzenegger, Gay, uh, great, uh, what is his name? Brown? No, no, Gray Davis. Davis. Gray Davis Davis didn't let anybody out. But I want to just jump in here. Like, Erlon did not take a life. Yeah. He just said, if you take a life, you shouldn't get out. But he didn't take a life. It was Rob. No, but that was, yeah, that was their stance on just parole, period. Yeah. You know, and now they've, they've, they've changed that. So, how much are you thinking about you've got this big transition to make and the show's got a big transition to make? And how do you balance those two things, you know, for your health and future? And also, this big change that has to happen with the show. I'm going to let Erlon answer that first. Well, I wake up every day and enjoy my life. (laughs) You know, and like countless of other people, I head to work in the morning. And when I get there, we figure it out. Yeah. And then when I leave, I'm done. (laughs) Really? You're working later than that. Um, We had had made a lot of plans for this podcast when Erlon was inside, regardless of him getting out or not. I mean, we really have always talked about this is... 
building our our empire, right? Yes. Um, and so it was going to happen whether Erlon was out or not. It's just now so much more joyful that he's out and we can like do these things together. We can travel together. We've been to New York, Milwaukee. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be going to Chicago. Um, and it's really, that makes it really beautiful. And, it takes and, a project that really was where we go when we leave here? Uh, oh, we're going to, to the, the Italian, Italian consulate, consulate, consulate to see if I'll be able to travel to Italy. Yeah, oh, for a lovely. Conference that we're going to do oh, good together. luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> so every day is an interesting challenge. Every day. I'm enjoying every day, you know, because mm-hmm. for me, it's a newfound freedom. Yeah. You know, it's a appreciation of small stuff. It's uh, just going to the beach just because and just sit there and just chill, eat ice cream. <laughs> When he first got out, when Erlang got out, he got a better phone than I got, and so he has a really good camera, and he always was sending me these pictures of him eating ice cream by the water. He was like, oh, it's just so beautiful. Just over here, it's so cool, so just, you know, you, 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 you appreciate the small stuff. Because, see, the crazy part is when you're in San Quentin, I was in San Quentin seven years prior to my parole, everybody like, why are they on the bay? Why do they get to, you know, enjoy the water? We don't even see the water. They got 30-foot walls. You don't even smell the seaweed. (laughs) But you know the water's out there, but you can't. You got to go, like, to specific spots somewhere in the prison to just look out and see the water. And you're only seeing it from a little window. It's funny because you came here. You're talking about this, and you came here. And most people, we bond in the Bay Area complaining about our public transit. And I think you had your first BART ride today. My first solo BART ride. First solo BART ride. And I've been out eight months. And and you were talking to me about it like like it was with the inquisitiveness of someone who just you know went on their first amusement park ride. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was <laughs> it was interesting. You know, it's like you got to stand, you got to sit. People, ah, uh, it was you know I'm I'm getting used to. It. I wanted to go to sleep. Yeah, but I just didn't want to miss. I didn't want to miss my exactly. <laughs> I ended up at the airport. Well, plus, do you notice when they announce the stops, it's really hard to hear what they're saying. Mm, it wasn't. It wasn't. It, it wasn't. wasn't. Okay. The only yeah. part that was trippy when the thing stopped in a tunnel yeah. and it was like, "We got a medical." I'm like, "Huh? Oh, no. <laughs> You're under the bay." This, yeah. I'm like, "How, how long <laughs> is this going to take? Is the earthquake going to yeah. happen while we waiting?" Yeah. Ugh, <laughs> scary. So this season, I I wasn't sure what to expect, and I was really pleased that you have some new uh, Yaya in New York. In New York, yes, yes. <laughs> new, new good dudes. New co-hosts. So they're inside. Additional, additional co-hosts. Yeah. Additional new co-hosts. New co-hosts. Um, and you're, you're on the outside and telling stories on the outside. Um, but I think the tone, I feel like it's changed a little bit. Like oh, maybe us. it's a little more complicated. I noticed a couple of the stories are more open-ended. Not everything in previous year hustle was a tidy, uh, resolution, mm-hmm. but there's a few here that they're, it's very open-ended yeah. and, and maybe a little bleak. Um, am I, I imagining I this? Or? I think he's talking about Ronnie. Yeah, yeah. A Stockton uh, yeah. Um, meth yeah. addict yeah. who got out and right. struggles with his drug addiction and struggles right. to, wants to get treatment and can't. It's really hard. But like, I want to go back to what I was saying earlier. Like We want to tell realistic stories, and real stories don't always end beautifully or the way we hope they would. Um, and so we have to get used to telling painful stories. And also, I want, we want people to understand how hard it is when people get out of prison. Erlon got out, to my mind, in an unusual situation in that he had a really good job waiting for him. He had a place to live. He had a good support system. He also has right. his family. That's not what a lot of people have when they get out. Nah, a lot of people don't. So 
it's two it's two things that are important but it's really three but it's two a job and housing if you have a job and housing everything else is something else you can mm-hmm. make it work and the third one is transportation uh if you have a transportation if you have transportation you're independent you know you don't have to wait on people or try to figure it out so i was fortunate enough to to have technically all three yeah 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 well in in terms of like not knowing what's going to happen with people the other thing the other opportunity we'll have as the seasons go on is to be able to catch up with these people and report back so we will get to follow up on people who may seem like they're in very bleak situations but I think most people that get out of prison, most people that I know that's getting out of San Quentin tends to pretty much live a cool life, a successful life after they leave, you know. And then some things, some, some things happen like Ronnie. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I think a, a theme in the show that I'm starting to see more now in the fourth season is that um, as as people like you demystify what's going on there, it becomes really clearer to the listener that the more that we do to help and make um, someone who's returning um, accept them and reach out. And it doesn't have to be a job or a, um, or getting them into rehab or, but it can just be reaching out and treating them like a human being yeah. that's going to help. And that's part of the process. Absolutely. And I feel more that way listening to your show. That's great to hear that. One of my other goals with the project is just to show that, people that are inside prison and people who are out can work together as professional colleagues and I think that really will help demystify what happens in prison if more people who are incarcerated go in and find projects to work on because Erlon and I have always thought of ourselves as professional colleagues whether he was inside prison or out and I feel that way about New York and the other guys I work with and that's just a way of showing respect back to each other right and dignity to each other that we can work together we've got stuff to offer each other and that's pretty great. No, it is. It is really. Yeah. It take me back to you know this different, but uh, what you were saying and the one of the one of, one of he said a lot of deep stuff, but one of the deepest <laughs> things uh, Lieutenant Robinson said was the taxpayers pay for prisons, mm-hmm. so they should know exactly what goes on inside of them. You know, yeah, so I, that really blew my mind when he yeah. said that. Yeah, it's true. Well, I I. Uh, I remember when I got hooked on your show and I was riding my bike. I had just started riding my bike to work and back. And it was uh, Roach, the, uh, um, in the first season, yeah, the, yeah. the inmate who... Looking out. Uh, he's on in the hippie, what do you call it? Hippie, the row. hippie, hippie row. row. Taking care of animals and um, such a human story. And I remember I was like coming up on my house and I just kept riding around the block oh. until it was over. And and I was hooked. I really love your show. I haven't said that y- your entire trip here. I didn't want things to be awkward, so I'm going to fanboy at the very end of your visit at the Chronicle. Um, love the show. You said we're going to revisit some people. Yeah. I, I, as a listener, I some of it is like maybe I don't want to know, but mostly I want to know yeah. like what happened to this cast of characters. Um, you, we'll see more of that as yes, time's def- going oh, on. Oh, definitely. And that's one of my favorite stories. And that that particular episode told me that we could do all the things that I hoped Ear Hustle could do, which was to humanize people, to use humor, also difficult situations for Erlon and I to be able to talk honestly about stuff. So I'm glad that you liked the episode. That's I think, my favorite one. Um, I, think, I think with Nigel, when we first started, was it, was it you that was like, are we laughing too much? Oh, I did wonder. <laughs> I did wonder. Well, yeah. I mean, I did wonder if 
we do we, we did we got a tiny amount of complaints from people that we were having laughing too much and i was like but you've never been in prison it's like there's a lot of laughter in prison <laughs> along with things that are difficult i mean sure but you why have life there? yeah you got life yeah. i mean you have a life to live you know and i know me personally you know my philosophy in prison was i'm gonna live my life to the best of my ability every day because i don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow i don't even know if i'm gonna wake up tomorrow but if i do wake up i'm gonna have fun and that's yeah. not a platitude from Erlon. That is really how he lives. And it's been really inspiring to me to have a colleague like that who always finds a reason to move forward. I mean, I can't be sad. Oh, I'm in prison. Uh, I know. No, I mean, never, it's, no. okay, it's evident I'm in prison. I'm here. Yeah. So yeah. now I just have to move forward with my life, however that seems. See, I didn't give up. I filed I a commutation and I got know. out. And there's so many disappointments in prison. It's right. so easy to get let down. And that's, that's the one thing I always tell people, man. You never know, man. Things change, you yeah. know. Just stick around. Things yeah. change. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a good way to close it. I want to thank you both for coming to the Chronicle, coming all the way out here, taking taking Bart. <laughs> Glad hey, it was man. <laughs> so fun. For you. Hey man, it was it was fun. It was it was it was good. Yeah. Come on, let's say it's a treat to be able to see behind the scenes. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah, no, it is. It, it, I'm telling you, I'm on these pictures. I know, I'm on these pictures. I, I might, I might look, look, look. So you know, sometimes, sometimes me and Lieutenant Robinson had those debates about what happened in 1971 because he's he's, yeah. he's basically a historian about San Quentin, oh, and yeah. uh, we always had these debates. So I got by seeing these pictures, I got some <laughs> new ammunition. This is Warden Duffy. Warden is that Duffy? That's Warden Duffy. That is Duffy. We did the, the story oh, yeah, we did on. Oh, and him. and he got an escape paraphernalia in his hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I gotta get a picture. We're in the Duffy. escape file now. <laughs> oh my we're god. We're in the escape files. I'm gonna I'm gonna we're gonna go deeper into, into the escape file off air. Um, thank you so much both for coming in. You're always welcome here. Come and look at our photos. Really? If you're doing research, come by, um, and uh, we'll get you back here and and we'll get deeper into the microfish and the negatives next time. Oh, I gotta That's show you so that generous. tunnel up thank under you. North Block. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> 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 Thanks both of you. Thank you. Thank you. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guests, Nigel Poor and Erlon Woods. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke, and our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album, Community. Read our columns and subscribe to The Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.